Welcome to Together, Sharing This Resurrection Life. This is a podcast with sermon series for small group discussions. Be sure to check out the show notes for a reading guide. I encourage you to jot down a few notes after you listen to the sermon. And then there's also a link to click on when you meet together as a small group that you can submit your attendance and any questions that you might have to me, Pastor Hagen, and I will follow up with you personally. Please come join this resurrection life together. This five-part sermon series is from Pastor Mike Novotny, entitled, You Reap What You Root. Our introduction for part three, entitled, Grow, goes like this. Fake news, feuding religions, personal interpretations. How does a person have any peace in a world where everything seems so uncertain? Peter's answer was, Grow. Although he admitted the Bible was a hard book to read, he knew that it produced knowledge and grace to keep us secure in our faith until Jesus returns. Pastor Mike Novotny, You Reap What You Root, number three. GQ Magazine recently published an article entitled 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. And I guess what book made their list? The Bible. Uh, which seems pretty crazy, the best-selling book of all time, uh, the book that whether you love it or hate it, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, you have to admit it has a book that has changed world history and American culture more than any other. I didn't agree with the total article, but there's a line in the article that caught my attention. Uh, Jesse Ball, who wrote his review of the Bible, included these words. He said, the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. (laughs) And I thought there's some truth to that quote. Lots of us in the church world, we love this book. Uh, We regard it highly. In fact, we believe it's holy. It's not just a, a book. We think it's the Holy Bible because it comes from the Holy Spirit. This is actually written by God, many Christians believe, and given through human authors. And yet, despite our belief in it and our esteem of it, uh, if your life is anything like mine, we don't always find time to read it. This book is a, a challenge to read, and many Christians will go not just a day or two, and not just a week or two, and not just a month or two, but sometimes a year or two, without making this a habit in their daily life. And if you've ever been there, or, or maybe you are there right now, I totally get it. I mean, I know it's a, the pastor thing to say, like, we should all read our Bibles every single day. But when I, when I think about that, like, what it must be like for you to hear that, I, I get why so much time can go by without opening this book. I mean, here's the first thing I get. Look, look at this book. <laughs> what is the la- besides Harry Potter, when is the last time you read a book that was this big? I mean, the, the Bible is a massive book and not everyone loves to you know, snuggle up with a good book on a rainy day. Some of us love to read and some of us don't. So to read anything, much less a book of this magnitude, uh, seems crazy. And not only that, this isn't like a book written by modern people in modern times. The most recent parts of this book were written about 1,900 years ago. Some of its parts written by Moses 3,500 years ago. There's poetry and prophecy by ancient Hebrew people. And it can be really difficult to understand. 
I mean, I went to school for a lot of years to study one book. And there are some parts that I read and I think to myself, what in the world does that mean? So if you're brand new to church or you've been here just a few years, you know, I could encourage you to read this book, but you would open its pages and I'm sure be thoroughly baffled by many of them. And that's not the only thing. The, the more complicating factor is that I have a feeling that a lot like me, your life is busy. They're not just sitting around with like dozens of extra hours during your week. You might have a job or family commitments. You might be raising small kids or working mandatory overtime. You might have tons on your plate with friendships or taking care of aging parents. You know, to, to really grasp and get a lot out of this book, it, it's not just going to take like a minute or two in the lobby at your next doctor's visit. It's going to take some like quiet quantity time and you probably don't have a lot of it. I think about this picture that we often put up at our church that we call the roots, you know, that we encourage people to plant these five different roots. But I learned something about the way that tree roots work the other day. I read an article by a tree and root expert named Thomas Perry. And he said that the number one thing that prevents roots from thriving and growing is soil compaction. He says that if there's a lot of foot traffic around the trunk of a tree, it will actually compact the soil so much and make it so dense that there's a lot of space and room for the roots to grow. And I thought that was kind of a perfect picture of life, right? <laughs> I mean, you're running from work to school to extracurriculars to kid stuff to friends to birthday parties for your little sister or your second cousin. Like life is this just frantic pace and it just compacts our schedule so much that we just don't have the breathing room that this book requires. Actually, you parents might appreciate, uh, Dr. Perry found out that the, the kind of feet that can pack the soil the most are little feet. <laughs> uh, even though kids don't weigh as much, apparently their feet are smaller, that there's more pressure per square inch with little kids' feet than grown men feet. And so if you have kids running around the tree that you call life, I mean, by the time you put them to bed, you collapse without a lot of mental energy to open this ancient book and get a lot out of it. And so here I am on another Sunday, another pastor, another service, and I'm going to tell you the same old thing, right? The pastors have been saying for who knows how long, you should really read your Bible. You should not just come to church and gather in God's name. Every day you should try to grow closer to Jesus. But I realize if that's pretty challenging for me as like the the pastor, it's equally challenging for many of you. And so often on messages like this, I'm tempted to help you figure out the how. You know, here's how you do it. I could pass out a double-sided worksheet, read this part of the Bible on this day, check the box, ask, ask these two questions. But I've come to realize after many years that the how doesn't do you much good unless you have a convincing why. I mean, why would you even do this? If this is going to be really hard to read, why, why would you battle through it the first time? Why would you stop doing the stuff that brings you instant joy, like scrolling through social media, put your phone down and pick this book up? Why would you do that? Why would you commit yourself to the next year to reading a book that you might get a lot out of or, or maybe you won't? As I try to convince you, this is worth reading every day for the rest of your life. Why would you give up another activity for the kids that they really enjoy to spend more quantity time in your home as parents 
just with a little breathing room and not just running from thing to thing until you crash into your beds. Why would you change your habits and your schedule to make space for this book? Well, that's the question I want to tackle with you today. Before I say, man, I'm going to give you just a little bit of the how. Like if you're interested, here's how you do it. But I want to spend the bulk of my time giving you a convincing why. Why is this worth it if it can be so difficult for modern, busy people? But thankfully today, I don't have to answer the why question by myself. Because there's a guy who lived about 600 years before Jesus was born named Jeremiah. And and in his book, which is very complex and poetic and prophetic, uh, he gives us this really, really great reason to be people who have a constant and daily connection to the word of God. Here's kind of a roadmap of where we're going to go. We're going to study just four or five verses from the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is going to poetically paint the picture of the kind of spiritual person you don't want to be. Then he's going to tell us the kind of spiritual person all of us want to be. And then he's going to explain why the Bible is the one thing that can move you from that kind of person to this kind of person. So if you're ready to learn why the Bible is not just the best-selling book, but the best book of all time. You can turn on your device, open your Bible, or just follow along on the screen. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 17. And let's just start with verses 5 and 6. He writes, This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. This is classic Jeremiah. Uh, he doesn't just come out bluntly and say, not reading the Bible is bad. <laughs> Instead, he uses poetry to paint this picture. And maybe kind of felt the emotion of this picture. He's describing someone who is spiritually cursed and not blessed. He says that it's like they're, they're parched. It's like their soul is crawling on elbows and knees through this dry, salty, deserted place. Jeremiah pictures this cotton mouth and thick tongue and cracked lips, a depiction of the soul that none of you would want to have. And did you catch who he says ends up in a place like that? The one whose confidence and trust is in man. You catch that? Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He says, well, what happens to us is that we can often end up in a spot that none of us would would choose if we simply put our trust in man. In other words, if our faith in what is good for us or what is bad for us, if we try to figure out what will make us blessed or what will make us cursed, if the final vote in those huge discussions for our soul comes down to any man or any woman instead of God, Eventually, our hearts will turn from God, who is the source of life, and will end up cursed. And that man could be any man or woman. If our trust is in what our mom or dad told us, what our pastor or our priest, what our favorite professor or our peers, what what a pop star or the polls, if, if we look to our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, our intuition, our hearts, our gut, if we let our conscience be our guide, we trust in man, Jeremiah says, and we end up spiritually in a place uh, that we don't want to be. And the reason why, according to Jeremiah, 
is because the law of entropy applies to your heart. You ever heard of that before, the law of entropy? Uh, it's a fancy scientific theory that essentially says this. Here's the official definition, that a closed system tends towards disorder and chaos. Here's another way to say it. If you leave a thing to itself, it gets worse and not better. Uh, the law of entropy is what I saw last Friday when I looked at my garden. Uh, my family's been kind of busy. My wife normally takes care of our garden every few days and waters it, but, but she's been busy teaching three and four-year-olds. She hasn't been back there, and I've, to be honest, been terrified of the mosquitoes, so I haven't been anywhere near my garden for about two weeks. But on Friday, I, I mow my yard, and I take the first pass where I can finally see the little garden behind the shed, and do you want to guess what I found? <laughs> it was cursed, okay? Uh, the garden was not thriving. There was one gigantic zucchini, but besides that, there were weeds and the tomatoes had fallen off the cages and they were cracked and broken in the soil. It, it was weedy. I, I couldn't tell the difference between what was good and what needed to be ripped up and thrown into the garbage pile. In other words, we left the garden by itself and it didn't get better. It got worse. And according to Jeremiah, the, the same thing happens to the human heart. If God doesn't have a chance to, to garden it, to prune what's going well so it can thrive and, and to pull out the, the sin that would choke out a thriving faith, it will not get better. It will get worse. If all we have is human opinion, trying to grow together closer to God, it, it doesn't end up in the place we, we thought it would. If you're taking notes in your program, here's what Jeremiah is really trying to teach us, that the, the curse, the spiritually unhappy trust in man. And I'm totally aware that if you are under the age of, of let's say, 30, that, that seems crazy. You might not know this if you're in your 20s or you're a teenager, but you have grown up in a culture. You have been swimming in waters that tell you the opposite of what Jeremiah is saying. I mean, you could probably finish these sentences, right? You need to trust your gut and you should follow your heart and your intuition won't lie to you. You can trust your feelings, right? This all, all we hear, be true to yourself. It's outside people, institutions, and authority that's the problem. The truth is found within you. But not everyone for human history has believed that. In fact, God, when he spoke to Jeremiah, said that we shouldn't believe that. It's in the same chapter, Jeremiah, that, that we find this in, in verse 9. Jeremiah says, the heart this is my heart and your heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You see, the, the heart is deceitful. We can talk ourselves into anything. We are like the best salesmen for bad ideas for ourselves. And if God doesn't speak to us from the outside, we will not end up closer to him, but further away. It's kind of what King Josiah learned. You recognize that name from the Bible? Uh, he lived right about the time of Jeremiah. He became actually king of the southern part of Israel when he was eight years old. And the Bible says that when he turned about 26 in the 18th year of his reign, he decided to pull uh, like an HGTV and he decided to remodel the temple in Jerusalem. And so he hired all these craftsmen and artisans and workmen. They were going to clean out the old temple, make it beautiful again. But, but, but as they clean it out, they find this book inside the, the dusty temple. And they blow the dust off the cover and they find out that the book is the Bible. 
And they bring it to King Josiah, who was a fairly good king by comparison when, when it came to worshiping the true God. And one of the members of his court starts to read the, the book, the words of God. And when King Josiah hears it, do you know what he does? He weeps. The Bible says he actually takes his royal robes and, and he rips them apart, that he is so grieved that he and his family thought they were so close to God, but it turns out they had drifted so far. And that's what God wants to spare you of. He doesn't want you to find out like a, a year from now that the way you've been dating or thinking of your sexuality or your marriage is far, far, far from what God intends. He doesn't want five years of family life to go down the road where you get blindsided thinking that you didn't really understand what love and patience and forgiveness looks like. He doesn't want you to look back on your life 10 years from now and realize that the things that God takes very seriously, you thought were just being human and not serious at all. And he doesn't want you on your deathbed living with guilt and shame and fear because you never realize that when God says he loves you with no strings attached, he meant it. See, Jeremiah knows that if God does not speak to us, we will not get anything right. We won't take sin very seriously. We, we won't grasp forgiveness with its power and, and its punch. Like we, we won't figure out marriage or gender or religion or authority or church or faith or anything else because the heart deceives us. And I was thinking, really, that's my entire case for you to read the Bible. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, there's a thousand arguments a pastor could make, but it all really comes down to that. If, if your heart is capable of doing life with God's blessing without this book, I, I don't think you'll read it. I think you'll be too busy and it'll be too complex. And, and if you trust and have confidence that you're going to figure this out, you just won't have the motivation to open it. But if you actually believe what God is saying through Jeremiah, that your heart will deceive you, that that man, things will get really, really messed up really fast unless God speaks to you. Then you will have the passion to say, I can't make a decision. I, I can't go back to my job. I can't do life in this country. Like I can't do life God's way unless he speaks to me and tell me what his way is. So I'm ask a straightforward question. Do, do you believe what God says about your heart? Do you believe it is as deceptive and tricky and lies to you as often as it does? If your answer to that question is yes, God is ready to speak to you. Because your father in heaven just he doesn't want to make you busier. He's just giving you this book so that you can read it a lot and earn his love. No, no like a good father, he wants you to listen to his voice so that you'll be blessed. In fact, that's what Jeremiah says in, in the last verses we're going to study today. He says, cursed is this person, but look how he transitions in verses seven and eight. He says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. See the contrast? They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I love, love those words. Um, my wife, about a month ago, wrote those two verses on this big chalkboard door that sits in our kitchen. Every day, my family sees that because that is so beautiful and it is so clear. Blessed is the one. Not everyone, but, but the one 
who trust in God. God says, if you trust in him, if you're like a tree planted by the water, the heat might come and the difficult season of life might arrive like a drought. And yet what? You don't have to worry and you will never fail to bear fruit. See, God is saying, if you read his word, life might not get easier. There will still be tragedy and cancer and death and depression and anxiety and mental illness and addiction. You will not open the book once and you won't have a, a craving for drugs or alcohol or it just doesn't work that way. But what God says is in the middle of the craziness of life, you will never fail to bear fruit. There will still be love and peace and joy. And, and I love the little details why. Because if you're in God's word every day, you will be like a tree planted by the water. You know what the problem is with the trees in my yard? They're not by the water. <laughs> They're totally dependent on the rainstorm or the sprinkler. And that's kind of like a, a Christian who only comes to church. Like the, their faith is totally dependent on how good or not the Sunday message is. But what would happen if you were a tree planted by the water? Like every single day, your soul had access to the source of life. It had access to Jesus. Well, then I could flop it. I could, I could preach the worst sermon in the world and, and your soul wouldn't shrivel and dry up for another week because you would have six, seven days of constant access to the word of God. See, this is Jeremiah's point. If you want to be blessed, then plant your soul, your life by the source of life, the word of God. Because then you can end up like, like this guy. This is a guy I met in another continent named Micah. Uh, he is goofily showing off his interesting beard to his wife, who's apparently very interested in how he's growing it. I heard about uh, Micah and his wife, Kayla, long before I got to Thailand. Uh, their coworkers and some of their superiors in the missionary organization they were a part of said that these two were a force of nature for Jesus. Like they, they would go into a city where very few people were gathering in Jesus' name, and they would love people so well and invest in them so passionately and have such peace and joy in their relationship with God that when they would open the word, like the city would, would get changed and they would leave. They were like this force of nature that would leave a, a wake of gospel love behind them. Which made me very curious to meet them. And, and when I did, I remember I went on a run with Micah and he told me the most interesting story. He said that he had grown up in a Christian church and it was a good church. And he was raised by Christian parents and they were really solid Christian parents. And he went to a Christian school and it didn't scar him and it wasn't hypocritical. It was a solid school that lifted up the name of Jesus. But, but Micah confessed to me that not once in his entire life did he open the Bible for himself. His teachers would tell him, you have to read this story or memorize this verse and he would. And they would schedule chapel on this day of the week and he would go. His parents would wake him up to bring him to church and, and he would attend. But it was always something he was forced to do and not something he chose to do. But when he ended up in, in a different country, Micah realized that he needed help. And so he desperately turned to the word. And he told me that when, when he did, his faith, which was strong to begin with, it exploded in all the right ways. 
that, that he found more joy in Jesus. He, he found more peace than ever before. He found more of a commitment to love people with faithfulness and hospitality and kindness. I remember well that run when he said, I, ne- I never did it before, but now that I have, I- I'm not going back. <laughs> and your story could be like his. Maybe you went to a Christian school. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. Maybe it's your first Sunday here at our church. I, I don't know your story, but I know this. If your connection is not just week by week or school year by school year, but day by day, you will find something so powerful. And I can tell you why. If you're taking notes, actually, I would summarize it this way. Why would you grow? What, what did Micah find? And my one word answer is Jesus. <laughs> Because this book is not just about ancient poetry and prophecy. This book is about Jesus. And if you meet the real Jesus in the pages of this book, it must change you. It it has to. (laughs) I mean, tell me, how how would it be possible that you could meet the, the Jesus, the God of love in this book and not end up wanting to love people in return? You know, this book says that Jesus is so committed to you that while you were still a sinner, He died for you. It says that no matter how great spiritually or what a wreck that this past week was, that God's love is still full and free for you. This book says that if you've been sober for five years or you haven't been sober for five minutes, that God is still forgiving and kind and he is pleased with you because of what Jesus has done. This book says that you don't have to earn God's love. You don't deserve it or merit it. You don't take steps up a ladder to get to him. This book says that God is so full of love. Jesus climbed down the ladder to get to you. And if you would meet a God like that, who loves you more than your your parents, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your children, anyone in the world, how could that love not sink deep into your heart like a seed and produce something beautiful? Or how could you read about the Jesus in this book and not have joy? (laughs) One of my favorite things about the Jesus of the Holy Bible is that he doesn't just put up with me and he doesn't just accept you. Uh, The Bible says that because he took away every one of our sins on the cross, he delights in us. (laughs) Do you believe believe that? God. I mean, does your boss delight in you? Your parents delight? Does your little brother, your older sister delight in you? (laughs) Don't answer that question. But God, I mean, the the God who knows all of the mess, he knows the whole story. I mean, if you told the whole story, who would smile and laugh and rejoice in you? But this God is so committed because of what Jesus did that he took every sin to the cross and he gave you every bit of the perfect life that he lives. God thinks of you and he rejoices and he dances. He's not like letting you sneak in the back door of heaven. He kicks open the, the double front gates And he throws open his arms wide and he loves you. And if you believe that, like God, God is proud that I'm his kid. How could that not give you a bit of joy? And if you would meet the Jesus of this book, how how could you not have peace? You know the thing you're worried about right now? And the struggle in your family, uh, the anxiety at work, the the mental illness, the addiction, the, the court date. Like that thing, do you know where that is? Underneath the feet of Jesus. Like, like Jesus kicks up his feet like a, like a footstool on your worries. He's not losing sleep over it. Jesus isn't worried about who's the president and who's going to sit on the bench of the Supreme Court. Jesus holds all things in the palm of his hand. They're totally under his control. Our God, who loves us, is in total control 
of the universe. And if you remember that while you're lying in bed at night, how could you not just take a deep breath and have peace? (laughs) Why read this book? Because this book reminds you that Jesus is not a small, sandal-wearing, sappy savior. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is full of power and love, and he loves you. That's what Zach's mom told him. I read this really great book last year called The Imperfect Pastor uh, by a pastor and author named Zach Eswine. And there's this really interesting chapter that's entitled Searching for Roots. And Zach kind of tells the story that he had always lived a busy life and people would always try to get him to slow down. Like he, he would work like mad at his job and his boss would say, dude, like <laughs> take a deep breath. And he started to pastor a church and he would serve and serve and serve and give and give and give just crazy hours. And his church leadership team would say, hey, pastor, we want you here for the long term. But he never slowed down until he got a letter in the mail from his mom. And the letter was short and sweet. And it said this, son, if a tree wants to provide shade, it has to have roots. And moms know best sometimes, don't they? If you want to provide shade, rest, joy, and peace, if you want to be a blessing to your children and your friends and your family, then the best thing you could do, get to know Jesus. Kids don't need another piano lesson or a soccer practice. They need a mom and dad who's not worried about the future because they know Jesus. Our best friends and our family don't need us to run like crazy doing another thing. They need to know that they're forgiven and that there's joy because Jesus is in control of human history. And so just like they tell you on every flight, but before you try to serve and put the mask on other people, put it on yourself and you'll be prepared to serve. Why get into this book? Because blessed is the one who trusts in God and blessed is the one who can be a blessing to others. So that's the why. (laughs) But I promised you a quick how too, didn't I? (laughs) I've I've learned that whenever I I preach about how life-changing and powerful and Jesus-centered the Bible is, sometimes people get fired up. But if if you're kind of new to the Bible, you probably have no clue where to start. (laughs) I remember one guy after a message I preached, he said, Pastor, I was really excited to read the Bible. I went to like a Christian bookstore and I stood in front of all the translations and I didn't know which one to get, so I went home. (laughs) it's like where do I start reading in in the front or the back or do I start with Jesus or the gospel so so let me give you two really quick options to how you could read the Bible if you're excited to start this habit in your life Uh, the first one is called the U version Bible app the Y-O-U version just a quick show of hands how many of you are smartphone or tablet users you have that in your possession let me see yes okay all of you thank you very much um the U version Bible app is it's incredible. Um, there's been over 336 million installations. It's the most popular Bible app that has ever been invented, and it is incredible. On the YouVersion Bible app, you, you could download like a Bible reading plan, like get to know the life of Jesus. You could do a topical study on anxiety or addiction or marriage or singleness or fear or depression or whatever it is, the version will break it up into separate days, tell you exactly how much to read. It will connect you with Christian friends, a lot from our church. And you can dialogue and ask questions. 
It will push notification. Like if you haven't read it in three days, it just knows if you're getting out of the habit. If you're super competitive like I am, it will keep a streak of how many days in a row that you've opened the app. It is beautiful. And best of all, it comes at the wonderful Lutheran price of free. Yeah, so you can download it for free after church today. And it's just a treasure trove of great ways to get into the Word. I encourage you to download that today. Or my second option is that you could read the Bible with me for the next six months. Uh, for the past year, my grow root has been an attempt to read this book cover to cover in 365 days. Uh, and it's been awesome in many ways, but uh, to be honest with you, I haven't gotten a ton out of it. You know, to read three or four or five chapters in, in the half hour that I try to give for my daily devotions uh, has been difficult. And, and so this next year, I've decided to do kind of the opposite. Instead of speeding through the entire Bible, I'm just going to take the Gospel of John and I'm going to try to read it in six months. Now, if you know much about the Gospel of John, I think it's 21 or 22 chapters long, which means that we're going to have like seven days per chapter. I'm, I'm talking like a paragraph of the Bible each day, and we're going to grab it and squeeze it until we get every drop of Jesus out of those words. And if you're interested in, in joining me on that journey, next year here at our church, we're going to spend the bulk of the year preaching and learning about the Gospel of John and if you want to join me on that, on your communication card, if you just write the word John and, and circle it, I'm going to make sure to connect with you, to encourage you, to teach you, and try to make it easier for us to grow in God's word together. To be honest, I don't really care how you do it. I just want you to spend time in this book so you can get to know Jesus and you can end up blessed. Because that's what many of you told me, that this book has blessed you. About a year ago, I gave a challenge to our church family. Would you read the entire Bible with me in a year? And before I gave that challenge, I had been praying and asking God, God, would you bring 10 people from our church family with me on this journey? And I gave the pitch one Sunday and I asked people to sign up on their little communication cards. And, and do you know what happened? I took a picture from that night. 83 people said they would join me. They wrote 365 on their cards. They sent me notes like, so excited, exclamation point. Let's do this smiley face. But you know what I realized? Um, signing up to read the Bible is kind of like signing up for a gym membership on New Year's Day. <laughs> like, like that's the easy part. There are 365 days of commitment that follow, which is why two weeks ago when I emailed the entire group, I was kind of nervous. I asked them, how many of you are at least 200 days into this plan? And I sent the email and a reply came. And then a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a tenth, a fifteenth. And you know what I found? 45 people. 45 people had been growing in God's word for the past year. But that's not the best part. <laughs> the best part isn't how often they read the Bible or what part of the Bible they read. The, the best part was the blessing that God gave through their reading. I followed up with those 45 people and I said, can you tell me the best thing that's happened to you spiritually? And I wish, like, I wish I had just 20 more minutes to read every single email of how Jesus changed people's hearts and lives. Let me give you just a few snippets. Tracy said, I have learned what true inner peace can feel like. Nate said, I've been blessed by the time that my wife and I have spent connecting and discussing the Bible together. Rachel said, the time 
that I have connected with my teenage daughter. Holly wrote, I find it amazing how there are some days when my reading is so connected to what I'm experiencing that day. Julie wrote, I want to do this every year until the day I meet my Lord and Savior. But Jesse's was my favorite. (laughs) Jesse said, I learned that people haven't changed and sin hasn't changed. And best of all, God hasn't and will never change. You know what I heard? Peace, joy, love, fruit. And where'd it come from? A root. Because Jeremiah was right. Blessed is the one. They will be like a tree whose roots are by the water. Even in a season of drought, they will never fail to bear fruit. I pray that you and I together can become trees just like that. Let's pray. Dear God, um, you determined that we would be born in this time and place. And when I think for most of Christian history, how few people would have the Bible in their pockets, in their homes, and in their hands, uh, I'm just humbled by that fact. Why are we here and why are we now God, only you can answer that question, but I know we have a privilege that so many followers of Jesus have not had for thousands of years to read the Bible every day. God, please lead us not into temptation. I know the enemy doesn't always just want us to do bad things. He just wants us to be busy with good things so we miss the best thing. And so I I pray not just for good priorities, but that we would believe your promise that this word will not come back empty, that faith comes from hearing the message that as we heard from from Deuteronomy today, that we can enjoy life and it will go well for us and the next generation if we're we're careful to meditate and to talk in our homes about the great things that you've done. God, thank you for your patience with us. We we struggle with this. We find time for lots of things and sometimes not for this thing, but we we know this is not a have to, it's a get to. So God, help us to get to and to want to and to meet you. We pray this confidently because we know you delight in us, you rejoice in us, and you forgive us because of what Jesus has done. So it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people who agreed, they said, amen. 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 And they show up and see a sexual sinner and know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. For the person from a recovery group who sees that familiar face from the weekly recovery meeting and they know that if they can be saved, maybe everyone can. And so I pray, God, every week until our health makes it impossible that we would gather here today, that we would believe you, that this root produces incredible fruit. I thank you, God, for our church. I thank you for everyone who encouraged us to be here. And I pray that you would now keep your promise that this word would not come back empty, but it would change us in time to your glory. I pray all these things, God, in your incredible name and everyone who agreed with this prayer, joined their voices and they said, amen. Amen. Devotion and commitment to saving us. We ask it all in his beautiful name and all God's people who loved having good roots, they joined their voices and they said, amen. Amen.